Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. You're on the wrong mic. What's up, everybody? We are back. In studio, it is Let's Go There is Thursday. Happy Thursday. Shira's finally a part of the programming. Welcome to me. <laughs> so this is uh, the show where we talk about the news of the day, pop culture, our crazy lives, so much more with fun music in between right here on Channel Q. Well, welcome, welcome, Shira Lazar. You look pu- uh, beautiful today. I look cute. I, it's no. a mixture between pretty and cute. Oh, my God. <laughs> My, it was going to be a mixture between pretty and beautiful. Aw, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but I got tongue-tied. Um, but yeah, you look really nice. You know, I'm getting used to us looking like something again. Presentable? <laughs> yes. I did have a meeting today. Oh, okay. In so that's person. the only reason why. I do have something to tell you that's major. Okay. Um. So everyone, I have found out... Oh. Something really bad news. Oh. Really awful, terrible news. I am a snorer. Oh, watch out. There goes your social life. I mean, (laughs) well, my social life is still intact. That was a reference to Clueless with, oh, "Oh, balls. Oh, don't. I don't like balls on my face. There goes your social life. Oh, well, that just dated you. Um, (laughs) Where are my Clueless fans at? (laughs) Oh, wait, wait. This is going to be great. Thank you very much. So I am a snorer. I had a friend who slept over a while ago, and he told me I snore. A friend, okay? Yeah, he literally a friend. He's straight. He's a friend from college. He's like a brother. And um, thank you. I had to now, (laughs) you know, preface his own sexual orientation. But anyway, um, he slept over and said that I was a snorer, and I didn't believe him. And so. Shira gave me the idea when I told her to, I did give you that idea. to record myself while I was sleeping. One, I get five hours of sleep a night, which that's, was really interesting to find lot. out. It's not. Mm-hmm. But then I ha- recorded myself snoring the entire time. <laughs> the entire time. And I, I fell asleep like maybe 11, 10 minutes in, and I was snoring. I'm not going to traumatize you by playing my snoring over the air. It's not going to happen. But... You have it ready. (laughs) (laughs) I do have it ready, but I just don't know how to stop. I don't know how to fix that because if I get a man, you know, whenever that's going to be in the year 3000, how am I supposed to, how is he supposed to sleep in the same bed as me? How are we supposed to get along if I'm the snower? Well, Ryan, you're very lucky because you have someone right here who can help you. What can you do? It's called 
the nose breathing technique. You need to be breathing through your nose and not your mouth. I don't even know what that means. Read the book, bruh. <laughs> I'm just going to go to the doctor and maybe get a nasal strip or something. And maybe I should get a humidifier in my room. I don't know. Give me your suggestions, please, because this is a serious thing that I need to like really solve immediately because this is going to hurt. I feel like I'm a very good catch, but now I'm not because I'm a snorer. Yeah, you're pushing people away with your snores. Yeah, I wonder, like, my ex didn't say anything, and I, I, any of the guys that I've slept with haven't said anything. Ooh. Not they saying it's left. multiple guys. They just left. Why would you say that? I was joking. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, well, that got dark. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> I mean, they weren't worth your time anyway. Have <sighs> them. We're going to fix your story, and you're going to be the man of your dreams. No, you said they already left. Wow. Well, they did. They're not here anymore. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Coming up on the show, downward spiral. How one state is making sure disproportionate communities are getting vaccinated. That's uh, coming up at 325 p.m. Pacific, 625 p.m. Eastern. Plus, how to confront someone when you hate confrontation. Wow. I mean, you're pretty good at it. <laughs> uh, no, I actually dealt with this today. Actually. No, but I'm just saying you're in the moment right here. You I just thought we were playing. That she is the mean girl, it's not like, me. You know when you're like play fighting and then someone's <laughs> like, oh, that hurt. Like, oh, okay, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin said today he will not testify at his own murder trial for the death of George Floyd. And um, have you made a decision uh, today whether you intend to testify or whether you intend to invoke your Fifth Amendment privilege? Uh, I will invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege today. Because he's guilty and he knows if he was going on that stand, they would have literally just humiliated him and he would have humiliated himself. Yeah, it's awkward. Anytime someone does that, yes, that is anyone's right. Yeah. But anytime you do that, and especially in this case, girl, you're saying everything that I need to know and that that your jury needs to know as well. He would have been ripped to shreds and he knows that. Yeah. Well, uh, our reporter on the ground there, Sloan Harris, is joining us in 15 minutes. Uh, Now... That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Well, if this isn't the strangest case of deja vu, I don't know what is. It is time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. The only story we have to start today off with is talking about J-Lo and A-Rod. They have officially announced their breakup in a new statement. They said, we have realized we are better as friends and look forward to remaining so. We will continue to work together and support each other on our shared businesses and projects. We wish the best for each other and one another's children one out of respect for them the only other comment we have to say is thank you to everyone who has sent kind words and support now girl we already knew this the streets were already talking that's why i always say when the streets and the rumors start talking that means something's true you know not mm. at all not all is true but something is uh telling the truth in that you know reports first started circulating in march that they had called off their engagement but multiple sources at the time said that the two never officially broke up and were still together now here's the funny thing about this a rod hours later um after the announcement posted on his instagram story showing off his weird j-lo shrine like photos of them oh a God. beach picture of them like saying uh, it says like a heart uh, with j-lo and a-Rod in it. Oh and then in the God. background, he was playing Coldplay. So he, you could oh. tell, in my opinion, it confirmed that J-Lo broke up with him and he's like broken hearted. He's going through it. Wait, it's not on. I'm back. I'm on his it, Instagram right well, now. Well, because it probably expired. It was on his Insta story. Oh. Yeah. But um, it's it's hilarious if you want to check it out. Um, at LGT Show to find out more about this story. Let us know your thoughts. We are Channel Q. 
you. All that good stuff. I am done spilling. Stick around, though. I got more stories coming up next hour. Well, next up on Let's Go There, more on the protests happening in Minnesota and how Chauvin not testifying will impact the George Floyd case. That's next. We are in the third week of the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd. Today, Chauvin said he would invoke his Fifth Amendment right and would not testify in his own defense. He told the court he understood he had the option to testify, but will not. Sloan Martin is back with us, WCCO radio reporter in Minneapolis, who's been on the ground um, covering this trial and also during the protest this past week. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, no problem. I think what you you picked out was definitely the the highlight from today. We know closing arguments are going to be happening on Monday. That means the jury's going to start deliberating on Monday. And they were told by the judge to pack a bag, even for a week, uh, if not longer, because we don't know when exactly the jury is going to be giving this back. But Monday is a big date. But We'd all been waiting if Derek Chauvin was going to be testifying in his own defense. His attorney, Eric Nelson, said having a back and forth is kind of uh, an understatement about how many times this was discussed and even as recently as last night. So wait, was his lawyers trying to get him on the stand to testify and he just did his own, he made his own decision or were we shocked by that decision? Because for me, I I wasn't shocked. Yes, and I think a lot of legal analysts would say the same thing. This this back and forth that happened in court is pretty much just to verbalize and have it on the record that he listened to his counsel, that they discussed it, but ultimately it was his own decision, and he had to affirm that with the judge. And Eric Nelson, was his attorney was just taking him through. He talked about, as you mentioned, him having the option to being able to do it, but he said that he understands that he would be subject to cross-examination. And Nelson told him, he said, do you understand that we couldn't limit the scope of the testimony of the prosecution? So it may have, in this case, come down to that, because we have three other cases in uh, the past in the state of Minnesota where police officers who are accused in deaths did take the stand in their own defense. And, And at least two of them that I recall offhand, they talked about, how they feared for their life, how they depended on their training. And one resulted in a conviction, one resulted in an acquittal. So I don't know if people thought that he was going to be able to testify because this is a much different situation. Those cases, Euronimo Yanez in the shooting death of Philando Castile and Mohamed Noor in the shooting death of Justine Damon, who was acquitted, or excuse me, who was convicted, they both depended on this split-second decision, depending on the jury understanding how difficult of a job law enforcement is. And you really don't have that factor here because according to the prosecution, that knee was there for nine minutes and 29 seconds. I mean, yes. And now uh, with the killing of Dante Wright happening in the midst of all of this, you've been covering that too. What's it like on the ground there now? I would say last night was slightly less turbulent. For example, there was no tear gas used by officers who were on the scene. And there's a very large police presence. There are barricades all the way around the Brooklyn Center Police Headquarters that has kind of turned into the de facto um, protesting space. Um, and But 
there was a lot of criticism for that because there are apartments directly facing on the other side of the street of the Brooklyn Center Police headquarters and residents there were complaining about tear gas wafting into their homes, having wow. irritation in their eyes and their throat and their lungs. And I can speak from experience. You don't want to be near tear gas. So that was something we didn't see, fortunately, last night. But um, certainly we do expect folks to be out again. And I think all of us here in the Twin Cities were prepared for protests and possible unrest, uh, depending on a verdict. And that could come as soon as next week. We don't know how long the jury is going to have that case. But to have this happen simultaneously with another young black man who was shot and killed by police at the same time for some people has just been too much as if the last year alone has not been hard enough and heavy enough for us here in the Twin Cities. Yeah, we know uh, that Kim Potter and the police chief has resigned, but the mayor has not accepted their resignation yet. Do you know why? Has he spoken to that yet? I don't know um, about those specific city operations. I know that protesters, though, do not want there to be just a resignation, that they see that as an easy way out, and they see that as potentially an opportunity for both of them to potentially continue a career in law enforcement. They have been calling for them to be fired. They're also upset about they think a second-degree manslaughter charge is not enough, and also the fact that Kim Potter has been bailed out of jail. So we are still watching what's going to happen kind of on that city government side. This is a city of about 30,000 just northwest of Minneapolis, but it has been kind of tense at times for the city put in the spotlight. We've also seen kind of a, a public back and forth between the mayor, Mike Elliott, who you mentioned, and also the Hennepin County Sheriff about the munitions and the crowd control dispersal methods that are being used against protesters. So this is all playing out in real time and publicly. Well, thank you so much for your coverage and for the work you're doing. We appreciate you being here today. Yeah, thanks for the invite. That was Sloan Martin, WCCO radio reporter in Minneapolis. Coming up on the show, did Russia influence the presidential election? The news coming out today next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The Biden administration gave Russia some significant economic sanctions today as cyber attacking and their influence on the presidential election was officially confirmed. National security reporter for The Washington Post, Shane Harris, joins us now. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. So what exactly was confirmed today? Because I thought we kind of knew this. Yeah, we kind of did from our news reporting, but it's always important when the federal government comes out and says, yep, this happened. Um, Basically, what they're saying now is, look, we know it was Russian intelligence behind that massive hack known as solar uh, solar wind. And also that, yeah, the Russian government interfered in our elections in 2020, and now we're going to take steps to punish them. So it puts it on the record and it spells out what the punishments will be. That's what happened today. So the administration also shank, uh, sanctioned six Russian companies that support Russian spy, uh, spy services, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what sanction means, and I feel like there's a ton of <laughs> listeners who don't know what sanction yeah. means. So break that down for us. So a sanction is basically what it means the government is it's a threat that a government wields to stop a country or a company from doing something it doesn't want. So in the case of those six companies you mentioned, what the government is saying here is, look, to all companies in the United States, you do business with these Russian companies, you are in trouble. We will take action legally against you. That could include penalties, fines, etc. Also, traditionally with a sanction, like if you hear somebody's accounts have been sanctioned, it basically means, all right, 
Mr. Russian over here, you've got money in an American bank, which many of them do, by the way, potentially, that bank is freezing your account. You can't get access to it anymore. So the U.S. government is using the legal authorities it has over American companies and other places we can influence to penalize these Russian companies and stop them from basically trying to engage in business. Oh, wow. Wow, that's intense. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what will the Kremlin do now? I mean, it seems like, is this helping or will this instigate things? <clears throat> well, it's always a risk, right, that you get into this kind of tit for tat and you escalate mm-hmm. the situation. What's interesting about this particular round of sanctions is it's going even beyond individuals and companies. They're also trying to stop the Russian government from being able to raise money in what's called the debt market. So, you know, governments issue bonds, they sell a bond to an investor, they pay an interest rate, that's how they raise money, to build roads and do all kinds of things they want to do. The U.S. government is now prohibiting U.S. institutions from basically buying on those markets. So it's cutting off the United States and hopefully in other markets as well to, to, to the Russian debt market. That's kind of like trying to suffocate the Russian economy or a part of it. That's a lot bigger than just one individual. So that raises the question of will the Russians feel that they have to respond? Cause this is, this is more than just the kind of garden variety sanction we're used to when we talk about Russia. Yeah, but is Russia really scared, though? Because it seems like they they don't really care that they've kind of been a part of doing kind of dirty things when it comes to our elections. And it seems like, okay, moving forward, the next big election we have, what's stopping them from not doing it again? Exactly. You put your finger on the debate. And if we were doing this in like in a nice Washington office, somebody would say, I don't think we've established sufficient deterrence for Russian behavior. Like that we basically it's like they're not getting the message. They're continuing to do stuff that we don't want them to do. And and that is the kind of the gamble here. It's like, okay, well if we've ratcheted up even more, well this time they know it's for real. Well they know that we're serious. And we're gonna have to wait and see on that. I mean, ultimately, when you talk about trying to punish Russia and change their behavior, really what you've got to do is get Vladimir Putin's attention. He runs the country. This is not like a normal country. It's more like a criminal organization in many ways. So that's kind of the bet here, that if you make it so painful that he could suffer political repercussions, maybe you actually will deter him this time. Okay. well, that was national security reporter for The Washington Post, Shane Harris. Thanks again for being here. You're welcome. Making it interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he did great, right? Exactly. I know. <laughs> Coming up, updates to Instagram that they hope will help you with your mental health when it comes to popularity on the platform, what they announced next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So Instagram wants to see if taking away likes will help people with their mental health this on is the platform. so annoying. Well, uh, yeah, but a lot of people find the whole like thing annoying, too, because then, you know, you upload a picture and you're constantly checking your likes and you're seeing if it worked, blah, blah, blah. I've fallen into that trap, too, but I just maybe I need you to break it down for me. I understand that people in social media, it can they can have a very tumultuous relationship. It can be yeah. very hard for them. It can be difficult for them to kind of fall into this trap or easy for them to fall into this trap of like wanting what other people have and it impacting your mental health. I understand that. But taking away the likes is not going to stop someone from wanting that person's life because they're going to look at the picture and they're going to still wish how skinny they were. They're going to still see how, oh my God, they're on this nice thing or they're buying that nice thing or whatever. And it's still going to, 
you know, have that same effect just like the liking does. So I'm not really sure changing the likes or taking it away is really going to do, you know, what it's going to do for everyone. We need to deal with the bigger issue. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because there will always be something then that people put a value on. Right? So if it's not likes right now, it'll be comments. If it's not comments, it'll be Instagram story views. And we've had the conversation. To me, I feel like sometimes social, um, specifically Instagram, can be a lot in the sense of, I, you know, it has to be so curated. You feel the pressure to make sure you're posting the right thing. And let's be clear. We're talking from a, uh, for a lot of people, you might be someone just likes browsing. Yeah. Stalking people. <laughs> safely. Not wrong with that. Uh, or, or you're a creator, right? Yeah, or you're yeah. someone, or you know one of those people if you're not that person. Yeah, it's a part of the business. But it can drive you crazy. It, For it's, sure. Uh, there's definitely an issue with mental health right now and the increase in the use of these platforms. But Adam Mazzari, the head of Instagram, tweeted this thread explaining the platform is testing a new option that lets you decide the experience that's best for you whether that's choosing not to see like counts on anyone else's posts, turning them off for your own posts, or keeping the original experience which is interesting because it means that it's still there you just won't see them and I thought they were already kind of doing this right now but this allows you to choose like meaning that makes it so it's just not there you can't see it no matter what this means you could turn it off but then you could still turn it on if you want to see the likes (gasps) okay I like that I like giving the the ability for someone to choose instead of just taking it away because some people enjoy it some people want to see it some people want to know if people especially if it's a business some people want to know oh do my does my audience engage with this content that's the only way you know yeah that's the unfortunate thing yes that is the only way you know Um, but I also understand the downside and the negative side of it but it feels like that's not going anywhere anytime soon we need to start teaching more positive reinforcement to you know the younger generation about not falling into that trap of self-esteem issues and all these things that come with you know social I don't know how we do it it is kind of hard well this uh, guy told PBS NewsHour in 2019 that the entire goal of experimenting with this is to depressurize Instagram to reduce anxiety and social comparisons we want your friends to focus on the photos and videos you share not how many likes they get Hmm. I do think Instagram is the next app out of here. To be honest, I do not see it existing any longer. Because there's a there's a lot of people, especially in my circle, who are already kind of over it because of the shopping aspect of it. Anytime a, a, a company starts to force you to start like seeing so many ads, or they're not listening to the users, or they're like putting in shopping carts and they, you know, Instagram wants to make a revenue more than it does want to satisfy its consumers or whatever, that is something thing that really turns people off and they find other apps that fits for them and i think we're going to be seeing that uh but yeah yeah they'll be on those apps until they see they're still not making money on those apps and they're like they've basically invested their life in those apps and those apps haven't figured out a way to make money and then they'll go back on those other places where the brands are. Yeah, it's a circle. It's the business of the social it's media the world. circle alive. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what you think. Would it matter if they took legs off of Instagram such at a LGT show on social media? It's not because my mom's on Instagram too, and she. But cares. your mom ain't worried about trying to become the next influencer. My dad is. Well, my dad know. actually posted. He's like, I got twenty likes. <laughs> All right, coming up on the show, more on the trans exclusionary sports bill that just got passed in the Florida House. Details next on what's trending this hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, how one city is making sure disproportionate communities are getting vaccinated. That's coming up in uh, 15 minutes. Uh, Plus, 
When dogs heal people living with HIV, we're going to be bringing oh, you yeah. that story again because it's so cute and powerful. We love it. Yeah, I mean, basically, it just tells us that dogs are magicians. For real. You know, Life uh, healers. To give a little update on uh, to, for our listeners who are still interested in, like, I wonder how Ryan's first manicure and pedicure is going. I was totally thinking about that. It's not going well. I haven't bitten my nails yet, but the nail polish and things are going off. But this nail, beautiful. I'm just saying, it One is nail, your pointer finger. One nail on my left hand is absolutely gorgeous. I just had to put that out there. You're welcome. Now let's get into somewhat trending this hour. More important news. <laughs> that is important news. Pfizer CEO Albert Borla told CNBC that he predicts people will likely need a booster dose within the year of getting the vaccine. If you're asking me, I think that um, there will be a need, based on this data, for uh, revaccinations. Um, we need to see what will be the sequence and for how often we need to do that. That remains to be seen. A likely scenario is that there will be likely a need for a third dose somewhere between uh, 6 and 12 months. And then from there, there will be an annual revaccination. But all of that needs to be confirmed. And uh, again, uh, the variants will play a key role. Okay, so we're most likely getting another vaccine. I don't. No, is this a vaccine? I still don't know what he said, to be honest. Booster dose. Okay, so it just helps you stay longer. Yeah, after the full vaccination, another dose. Third. Anyway. That's too much. I, I don't... Just give me one and done. Aren't we there in modern Johnson medicine Johnson and Johnson. No, that's... Jo- Johnson and Johnson's giving folks blood clots. Well, that's the news we have around that. But uh, <laughs> before we wrap up with Chen this hour, I just wanted to uh, mention this legislation requiring transgender female student athletes to play sports on all boys teams passed Wednesday in the Florida House of Representatives. Florida representatives passed this House bill even after the NCAA made it clear it could pull national championship sporting events from states that bar athletes from competing based on their gender identity. In the case of Florida, that could mean the loss of 50 events with a $75 million economic impact. Speaking of this, um, later this uh, in the show for our Yes Queen, we're talking about a new, an original doc from Hulu that just got picked up that is following three trans uh, high school athletes. Absolutely incredible. Uh, we're going to get the uh, people involved in that on the show soon to talk more about it. But Hulu just bought it for a good amount of money, and I cannot wait to watch it. Well, that was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, my goodness. Okay, let me change the song first and give us something cute. Okay, so here's the interesting thing. Laura Dern thinks that there is more shame talking about money than sex. Is she right? I want to know. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. She was on an IG Live talking about everything from acting, her kids, and money. She said, I can't believe nobody ever mentioned money to me, ever. Nobody talked about it. Should you get a checking account how do you save how do you talk about it uh-huh. she said there's more shame talking about money from um than there is about sex do we agree yes i concur with this because i think yeah we uh, like I-, I know i'm just getting more financially responsible now and that was partially like my family but also because i don't even talk about it you know with the guys i hang out with or my girlfriends and some of them are doing good stuff with their money but they're not sharing it yeah, you got to share the knowledge, the, the 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 wealth of it off, you want to kind of put a pun into it. But I, 
I do think people are uncomfortable, and it, it, it was told back in the day that it was not classy to talk about what's in your bank account. Mm-hmm. But forget that. Throw those old school rules away, and let's all help each other get into a better financial place. If you want to know more about this story, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com because that's where you can find all of my juicy stories. And, of course, at LGT Show. Keep the conversation going. I'm done spilling until next hour. Coming up on the show, how one state is looking to close their vaccination gap. And could other states follow? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Many minority groups have already suffered disproportionately from the virus, including black and brown communities. But now they're also dealing with barriers around getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Liz Hamill joins us, VP and Director of Public Opinion and Survey Research at Kaiser Family Foundation. Thanks for joining us for this. Sure. Happy to be with you. Uh, So I feel like we've talked about this a lot. Is there I mean, we've talked about how uh, the how disproportionate communities are not getting the vaccine. But what are certain states or communities doing to give those individuals the vaccine? Yeah, so what we found is that, you know, especially early on, the vaccines were going disproportionately to people with higher incomes, to white people versus black and Hispanic people, um, and to people with better access to the Internet who were able to go online and try and find appointments. Um, But what we've seen over time, you know, there's a lot of efforts to make outreach in communities. and, And we've seen over time that people's confidence in the vaccine has grown as they've seen more and more of their friends and family family members get vaccinated. Um, And so we've seen the the group of people that says they're not sure about getting the vaccine has shrunk over time as more and more people have said they're ready to get it. And that's been true across different communities. Well, the interesting thing is that the greatest skeptics were younger Hispanics under the age of 50 who were less trusting of vaccine information from like political sources. Why? I mean, why do you think that is? And and I know you just said that that's kind of changed a little bit, but that's really interesting that younger folks, regardless of whatever community they are part of, kind of feel this way, the lack of trust. Yeah, I think it is partly a lack of trust, but it's also their sense of risk is lower. So we've seen that older adults are much more likely to want to get the vaccine. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they know that if they get this virus, they are at high risk of being hospitalized, of dying. Younger adults who are thinking about whether to get the vaccine, you know, they know that the risk for them personally is a lot lower. And so they have to make that decision based on wanting to protect others in addition to themselves. And so it's a little bit of a different um, process for deciding how to get the vaccine. Definitely. As we hit this date where it's going to be accessible to everyone, what's being done to get it to those who don't have access right now? Yeah, you know, that is a really good question. I think there's a lot that's being done, but still a lot that needs to be done. You know, what we're seeing is that it's not just about a lack of trust or a lack of confidence, but people have concerns and questions about how getting the vaccine is going to impact them. People who are in lower paying jobs may not get time off of work. They're concerned about having to take time off of work to go get the vaccine or having to take time off of work if they experience side effects from the vaccine. So I think in addition to making the vaccine accessible in communities, we have to think about policies from employers, from government, from other entities that can make sure that people can get the vaccine without having to put their livelihoods at risk. Yeah. And I know like for a lot of recent Hispanic immigrants, language barriers are a huge 
um, obstacle to accessing like healthcare. And so does that kind of fall on to the training for a lot of healthcare professionals? So hospitals be working towards making sure that, you know, maybe their staff kind of understand are more bilingual or like, what are we seeing kind of working to kind of tackle that? Because if a language bar- bar- barrier is an obstacle, then that's a big issue. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that language barrier exists at every interval. Um, it's, it is, there's a language barrier when you go to get the vaccine. There's a language barrier with the websites when you go to sign up for the vaccine. Um, you know, I know here in California, there are lots of efforts made to translate things into multiple languages, but people who live in a rural community where there may not be a lot of other people who speak their language, it's definitely an ongoing concern. And like I said, it's not just at the hospital, it's at the the site where you go to sign up um, and at every sort of place in between. Well, thank you for this and for the work that you're doing. We appreciate you for being here. Great. Thanks for having me. That was Liz Hamill, VP and Director of Public Opinion and Survey Research at Kaiser Family Foundation. Coming up on the show, When Dogs Heal People Living with HIV, the co-author of the new book joins us next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. COVID-19 led to a surge of dog adoptions. And When Dogs Heal is a new pictorial essay anthology. It explores the prevalence of dog ownership among people living with HIV, along with personal testimonies about how dogs change their lives. It's so sweet. And joining us right now on the show is co-author of When Dogs Heal and journalist Zach Stafford. Welcome back. My face. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hello, friends. It's so nice to hear your voices. I hear your voices talking to me. Right? Specifically, because I hear your voices. Oh, we appreciate <laughs> it. Well, we miss you, and you have really been working in this pandemic, and y'all have come up with something so incredible. Oh, my God, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. We actually, so the book, um, we started seven years ago, and it got wow. delayed through the pandemic, and then it became perfect for the pandemic, because everyone had a dog, and everyone is feeling really lonely right now. And so much of this project is about that loneliness and so many other things. But it was just like, it's super serendipitous. But, you know, I would like to say, oh, yeah, we did this all in the pandemic. But no, girl, we did. <laughs> we, did. <laughs> yeah. we finished it in the pandemic. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, tell us about that journey to making this. You said you just did it over six years. But why this subject matter? Yeah, so I, you know, as a journalist, I've always been really fascinated in HIV positive communities and how they're surviving and thriving and just how we as a larger LGBT community can do better to support our brothers and sisters that are positive. Um, and a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, I've had a lot of family members pass away due to complications with HIV. I lost my grandmother when I was a kid and my uncle. Um, and so I've always been wanting to figure out a way to talk about the subject in a way that made people want to engage with it. And in 2014 or no, 2012, I met a doctor named Rob Garofalo who is a really well-known doctor um, for LGBTQ medicine. And he tested positive for HIV and he adopted a dog. And he told me that the dog saved his life. And we began this really crazy friendship where we began working together and talking about it. And then we had this idea, like, I wonder if Rob is alone. And then seven years later, we found out he's not. There are literally tens of thousands of people like him out there. Uh, And it was just an amazing journey. Now, the crazy, also the crazy thing about this journey was that 
the entire team used filters uh, on like queer apps to help find people to tell their stories. And yeah. like <laughs> when y'all were finding these people, they didn't even realize that they had this like in- connection with like their dogs and their HIV diagnosis and the decision. Tell us a little no. bit more about that. Like how how does that even work? Because if I, if you I hit me up on Grinder, <laughs> I'm gonna be like, okay, so what are we doing? You're like, what's happening? What's the tea? No, exactly. That, and that happens a lot. I got a lot. My mother thought I was looking for a man when I was working on this. And I was, I, well, I was but I wasn't. The project was very fun. <laughs> and still am all the time. But, you know, how we were recruiting, you know, we use Grindr a lot. As you know, I used to be at Grindr. And this book began before I worked at Grindr as the chief content officer. But we would use Grindr and I'd see people with pictures with their dogs. And I'd track up a conversation. And I'd be like, so your dog, tell me more about your dog. And a lot of people do openly identify as positive on the app. So we'd have a conversation and, and how we did the storytelling is we talk on like the apps or via email and then I'd get on a call with them and then we just start, we, we would begin a relationship. And through this relationship, I would talk to them about their journey, about what they went through. Some of these people were homeless. Some of these people were going through intimate partner violence. And I would help them thread this needle of, you know, the moment in which they began to reclaim their life and reclaim their power was when they adopted a dog because I think RuPaul tells us this a lot in many ways, but it's like, how are you going to love someone else if you can't love yourself? And for many people, dogs became that thing that they learned to love other people and eventually themselves. So for me, it was just this amazing pursuit of being able to use a dog as a metaphor for hearing people's personal stories of how do they get on that journey of self-love and self-education. Wow, so beautiful. It is. And in this article in uh, Them that profiles all of this um, and the book, you talk about how dogs can create an affirming home environment for those in the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Can you share more about that? Yeah, I think what I've learned through this book and then through the pandemic so much is that, you know, home is a very sacred and sometimes volatile and complicated place for LGBTQ people. You know, some of us have never felt safe at home. And then when we finally get our homes, we're fighting to keep those homes. And, and, you know, we sometimes don't trust the people that come in and out of them or the people that support us in that home. So dogs have become this very non-judgmental, really loving. I mean, I'm sure you both have been around dogs. Dogs just have an infinite, infinite amount of love to give to people. I have one. So when people, you see, you get it. Yes. You get it. And they're like, dogs are just infinite in their love. And I think when people bring that dog to the ho- their homes, uh, as they're going through so many other things, that dog becomes a consistent person that comes up to you and says, I love you and I want to be here with you. And also, I can't live without you. Um, it changes people's lives in these amazing ways. And I think you don't have to be HIV positive to know that. You literally are about to have me go out to Petco or PetSmart and buy my dog all the toys in the world because <laughs> this is so sweet and you're so, so right. And I am so excited. Literally, you can get this book wherever you get your books, right? Yes, everywhere. Everywhere you can get an e-copy, you can get it at Barnes & Noble, at Amazon, wherever you want, or your local bookstore. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. As always, we hope to have you back. Please. Of course. Thank you. I will always come back. Thank Aww. you. <laughs> that was journalist Zach Stafford. Check out the book. He's the co-author of When Dogs Heal. Out now. Uh-huh. Now coming up on the show, White Claw has announced that they're upgrading their product. How it could create a mess. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Remember White Claw Summer? Yes, I do, unfortunately. It's not good. Where White Claw just took over. It felt like it was like the the surge of all the frat bros and the sorority girls drinking, popping open a White Claw. Even though I have played um, like beer pong. 
but mm-hmm. with white claws. Claw pong. Yeah, I have done that before the you know quarantine of it all. You know, and then there was uh you couldn't find the white claw, right? There was like a uh, decrease in white claw, or it wasn't available. Was it? Were people buying up white so claws? So much, yeah. So much uh, need. I desire. don't really get. I don't get it. Like I don't understand sparkling anything. I don't like sparkling water. I don't no, like I'm the Pellegrinos. But yeah, let's it's be clear. disgusting. White claw is not that good. It's really not. I don't get well, it. I hope they it's don't want to sponsor us. It's, uh, <laughs> but if you want to sponsor us, it's amazing. <laughs> we'll change our entire point of view for I you. Mean, like I get it. Zero calories or something. It has a taste. You feel like you can get drunk. But people weren't getting drunk enough, it seems. The company announced the release of a new seltzer called Surge with a higher alcohol alcohol content, 8%. And it's bigger, too. 16 ounces instead of 12. People are calling it now a White Claw Surge. So they just put more alcohol in it and basically water. Because that's what it was, right? It was water and they just put alcohol in it? It was like a seltzer. I don't know the exact ingredients yet. It's a seltzer. <laughs> Can you please pull up the ingredients? I mean, list? I feel like when you say 12 to 16, it means like you're going to go to the not... bathroom a lot. If yeah. you drink that whole thing, a bunch of them, how many times are you going to have to go to the bathroom? And it doesn't really even sound, I don't know. There's just nothing about White Claw that, I do like the name. It reminds me of my, one of my favorite Power Rangers. Um, but it just doesn't sound like it. it's... Yeah. Well, people on Twitter are comparing the new beverage to Four Loco, which <gasps> oh, people have now, called hangover in a can. I never yeah. got into Four Loco. I would. I mean, that's a college student. Fourteen percent alcohol. Whoa. I yeah. Mean, Four eight, Locos. You got to be careful because you could die. Eight percent to fourteen. That's a big leap. You could literally die. Really? I mean, you can't literally die, but. Four Locos, I mean, when you're young, you think, oh, my God, I'm getting the buzz. I'm, It's getting me there. But then you find out, oh, no, this is not good for you. It's not good. It also can give you a heart attack or something. <laughs> well, I wouldn't. Well, I mean, no, because it's, it's a heart. It makes your, it has it does, some caffeine it, in it. Yeah, it can, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the, it's like Red Bull plus alcohol. The but in a whole FDA entire can. deemed it a public health concern in 2010. <laughs> I guess you could possibly well, anyway, die from it. Uh, just as we wrap things up, uh, people have obviously been making fun of this. They, someone tweeted, uh, my Moderna vaccine and the 8% ABV white claw surge meeting up in my system this summer. And it's just like a party, basically. So are you going to be into the new white claw? Are you a fan? At LGT shows where you can find us on social media. Coming up on the show, Arizona just voted to ban queer history education. Rude. Ugh, that's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, if you ever have a bad trip or you've had one, well, there's a hotline that can help you find your chill. Oh, my God. You know, I have had a bad trip where I was, uh, my flight got delayed and it was <laughs> oh, yeah, just that a type mess. Of trip, Ryan. Oh, you're talking about drugs. That's, I like that I'm too. just talking about things <laughs> that make. <laughs> We're here to help as we always are. That's coming up in 15 minutes. Plus, how do you confront someone when you hate confrontation? A lot of good stuff this hour, just saying. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. A Chicago Police Oversight Board released body camera video today of an officer fatally shooting a 13-year-old boy. Images that Mayor Lori Lightfoot called excruciating. Adina White's Ortiz, Adam Toledo's family attorney, shared this. But I don't think it matters whether... Adam is a choir boy, whether he is involved in some other untoward activity. The fact of the matter is that he was walking in the street and he was shot, shot unarmed. That could have been me in that street. That could have been my son in that street. That could have been any one of us in that alley that evening. 
So that's right now happening in uh, Chicago right now. I mean, from the news and social media, you would think this country is falling apart, by the way. I mean, just from living in this country. And the young people having to deal with this. Such young loss of life. It's tragic. Now, Republicans in the Arizona state legislature have passed a bill that would allow parents to opt their children out of educational classes, which would include LGBTQ history or sex education topics, including HIV prevention, which is all important stuff to know. It would require parental permission for students to attend any sex education classes. You can see that's problematic if your parents don't think you need that, even though you do, right? Sex ed classes for students in the fifth grade or below would be totally prohibited in a time where you need to figure this stuff out. The passage of this comes just two years after the repeal of a law which prohibited teachers from discussing LGBTQ people as leading a healthy lifestyle or saying that homosexuals could have safe sex. I hate the way you said homosexuals. I mean, that's what you literally said every syllable in in that word. Homosexuals. Voting on the bill also comes just weeks after the Alabama legislator overrode a gubernatorial veto of a bill that will prohibit doctors from treating transgender youth with hormone or surgical therapy. Every day we keep reporting about this crazy stuff. It's just wild, but uh, of course, you know it hasn't passed yet, though. So there's still an ability for this to hit a wall, but we'll be reporting about it as it continues. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? So I'm going to talk a little bit about some happy queerness um, because Little Nas X is giving me another reason to love him and basically stand. It is time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So, of course, we all know Little Nas X has faced a ton of backlash from outraged parents, conservatives, Christians in recent weeks because of his video, Call Me By Your Name, Montero. Um, But the kids, of course, love him. I mean, it's the youth that are going to keep this world moving along. Um, But uh, basically, he proved how much kids loved him on an episode of the, this YouTube series called Arts and Raps. Um, basically, it's where a rapper comes in and paints with little kids. It does a, like, I'm not a little kid because it felt like they were like maybe like teens at least. Um, and one of the kids asked him, What does coming out mean? And here is the funny <laughs> interaction that we're just going to let play out. What does it mean to come out of the closet? It means you're like, hey, everybody, I'm this thing, and you guys didn't even know that, but now you know. Why are people in the closet in the first place? Because, you know, back to that thing I said earlier about what we we think about what other people think about us. So once we tell somebody we're this thing or that thing, their mind shifts completely, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter how close you are to them or whatever. I got a closet yeah. story. So uh, me and my o- older cousin keeps pushing my brother into the closet, and like we closed the door because we had a big in walk-in closet. We closed the door and then blinked the lights on and off and then say like 666 or Bloody Mary. And then he swore he saw something. That's exactly what happened to me. That's what I meant when I, that's exactly what I meant when I said I was coming out of the closet. That's exactly. You just get hilarious hot takes from kids and what they think certain things mean. And I think it really shows the innocence of, like, kids at the end of the day, right? We we think that their their minds are being molded in these super intense ways where if they see something, they're going to automatically think negatively about it. No, no that's, that's mostly adults putting that and projecting that onto kids. And if you just have these nice, honest conversations... 
look, I mean, it could be funny in these moments. So check that full video out on YouTube um, if you want to. Or um, if you want to know about any of the other stories that I've covered on today's show, wearechannelq.com is the destination. And of course, keep the conversation going on social media at LGT Show. Uh, next up on the show, a hotline that promises to help you out if you're having a bad trip. Oh, yeah. Around for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Psychedelics have been shown to be therapeutic, but if you don't have a good experience, San Francisco-based nonprofit Fireside Project is here to help you deal with your bad trip. And Fireside Project creator Joshua White joins us right now. Welcome to Let's Go There. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. Okay, so uh, I you think this is... You don't sound like you're on a bad trip. <laughs> you sound quite calm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my best to keep it together. There you go. Uh, well, tell us how you decided to create this or why. What led to this moment? Well, I think for me, I, I think we're at this kind of um, really kind of like crucial kind of tipping point moment in the psychedelic movement where there's just we can kind of create the type of psychedelic movement that, w- that we want. And one model is basically that People who want to have psychedelic experiences, you know, will have to pay lots and lots of money and spend thousands of dollars to, uh, you know, receive professional care from, um, you know, uh, doctors and psychiatrists and therapists. And that's certainly part of the, uh, the ecosystem that we would like to create. But we also think that peer support is exceptionally important. Um, and the, I think that the kind of magic of Fireside, if you ask me, is that every single person who has their phone with them never has to be alone with a psychedelic experience ever again. So that can mean that you're in the midst of an intense trip. It could mean that you want to talk about a trip that happened 20 years ago, um, or it could mean that you're hanging out with a friend who's having a psychedelic experience, and you're wondering what you can do to provide support to them. So there's just this power in peer-to-peer support, you know, people just mm. helping people on their own level. Okay, that's interesting because I didn't think about the, if you're with a friend or, you know, just having that connection. Because my thing is, if someone is experiencing whatever trip they're going on and they realized, oh, my God, I'm in over my head. My first thing is not going to grab my phone to call this hotline because I'm not even thinking clearly. Mm. So how do people mm. even get to that space of like, oh, I need to do they write a sticky note? letter for themselves and leave it on the refrigerator like what do you do what what's been the experiences well, so we just launched yesterday, oh. and um, you know we had a um, we had a um, you know a month long campaign called Psychedelic Speed Dial, and the goal was to really get people to enter our number into their phone now, so it's there when they need it. And it's definitely a, a challenging task, you know, to really kind of um, embed ourselves in people's consciousness, so that if they do start tripping, they can think to themselves, "Oh, that's right, I've got this number in my phone." Um, and it's a number that's pretty easy to remember. It's just the number six, the number two, and then fireside. So, uh, th- yeah, this is really important and needed. What types of responses have you been getting? Yeah, it's been a mix so far. Um, so we offer support by phone and text message because we acknowledge that uh, you know different types of communication are important. Let's say you're at a show and you're tripping really hard. It might be nice to be able to text since calling might be too loud. And so we've really received kind of, um, again, we're only two days in, but um, a, a really kind of a nice range. People who are just curious about what it is that we do. Um, we've spoken to people who had psychedelic experiences years before 
but they had no one to talk to about them. Um, and worse than that, there are people who, um, you know, are told after a psychedelic experience that they've poisoned their brain. And so for a lot of people in the country, especially as access to psychedelics is expanding, it's so important to be able to connect with someone who gets it and doesn't pathologize what's happened yeah. to you. Yeah, and I, I do wonder, as we wrap up here, do you think, because there is a, it feels like, you know, psychedelics in this conversation is still very new mm -hmm. and there's still yeah. so much misinformation out there about the entire process. Do you think a hotline like this is going to encourage more people to maybe dip their big toe in it? Not literally, um, but, you know. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I, we already know that millions and millions of people are taking psychedelics, and the numbers you know just continue to go up. And that's because of you know the electronic music scene, because of the research. In fact, just today, um, a study came out that showed that psych, that uh, psilocybin mushrooms, magic mushrooms, are as effective or more effective than the leading SSRI. So headlines like that. So I think people are going to be taking psychedelics no matter what. And we really see ourselves as a risk reduction service, right? People are going to be doing this. And so it's important that there be a service that they can reach out to whenever they want. So um, to all of your listeners, I would just ask, put your number in our phone right now, the number six, the number two, and then the word fireside. Um, and that way, if down the road you're having an intense experience, you know that we'll be in your phone already and there'll be a compassionate, understanding volunteer who wants to support you during your challenging time. Wow, very cool. Great job. Congratulations. We like innovative things. Yeah. And this feels very innovative. Nothing like it. Um, well, there is nothing quite like it has ever existed, except in, in 1967, there was an LSD rescue service in the hate hmm. here in San Francisco. Um, but, uh, but other than that, we're, we, we don't really think anything like this has, has ever existed. And we you know our plan is to start in the U.S. and then eventually um, offer this service to the entire world. Okay, that was Fireside Project creator Joshua White. Thanks again for being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Joshua's like the acid whisperer. Like, he could really help you through it. It's really great. I like it. Psychedelic whisperer. Yeah. I love it. Coming up on the show, how to confront someone when you hate confrontation. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Confrontation can be hard for a lot of us. Some of us might even avoid it. So how do you take the leap and start feeling comfortable with confrontation? Amy Morin is with us, a therapist and international best-selling author of four books on mental strength. And she's the editor-in-chief of Very Well Mind, the biggest mental health website in the world. So cool. Welcome to the show, Amy. Oh, thank you for having me. So why might some people not be into confrontation? Like, where does this stem from? So the fear often comes from childhood. And thinking that confrontation has to be this huge thing where we're going to tell somebody that we don't like their behavior, they're going to blow up at us, and it's not going to go well. So for those of us that grew up in homes, maybe where confrontation didn't end well, where maybe a friendship ended or family members quit talking to each other or they had a yelling and screaming match, it teaches us that confrontation is really bad and we should avoid it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. This. So this yeah. is uh, personal for me because... I've always had a hard time with confrontation and then I blamed it on being Canadian like because I'm nice. <laughs> uh, or just being like, I'm a nice person, I don't want to do this. But then I really had to confront the idea that this, there's something here, right? Yeah. You're avoiding, it's a control thing, you're avoiding something that uh, might be awkward or in your head, right? It would lead to something bad versus it leading you to getting closer with someone or leading you to just standing for, up for yourself or just sharing what you're feeling, which isn't a bad thing. 
It's not. And sometimes it's just about setting healthy boundaries or saying, I don't like it when you do this thing that you're doing. And sometimes that can help you develop a much deeper friendship. And it's a really kind thing to do, whether it's a friend or family member, sometimes to approach them and and say, here's something that's going on. Here's why maybe I don't like it. Or here's why I think it's not good for you. Because if we didn't care, we might not say anything at, at all. And so when we do that, and we're still showing them that it's okay if you're upset with me, but my expectation is we can work through this. We can work past it. Yeah. And even if we don't agree, we can still have a relationship in the end. But here's the thing. When something has been the same for so long, and then all of a sudden someone decides to you know, drop the boundaries, um, it can be difficult for someone to hop on board with that. Because they're one, they're shocked that you're standing up for yourself. Um, and two, they want to kind of push back. So how do you deal with that in the heat of the moment where you're trying to stay firm in setting those boundaries? So, and you're right. That a lot of times people who aren't used to us setting boundaries, they definitely push back because they want to know, well, what's going to happen if I don't follow your rules? Mm. And in that moment, initially, you might not necessarily have to do anything. You might need a, a opportunity to calm down, to really think about it, and to give the other person a chance. They might just be defensive in the moment. So if you just say something like, I don't like it when you when you call after midnight, I don't like it when you show up unannounced, it may take them a while to come around, but if they break that boundary, it's important to speak up and say, I don't like that you did that, even though I said that, I feel disrespected. Uh, you don't necessarily have to end the relationship or decide that you weren't going to have contact with the person. Sometimes people seem to think that if I set a boundary, you break the boundary, then we can't ever talk again. It oh, doesn't have to be the case. That's me. I'm, I'm always down cutting somebody off. <laughs> I really am. I mean, I'm very honest. If people yep. show you who they are and they continue to show you who they are, why would I continue to have them in my life? Well, it depends. There's probably times where when it's a, a major boundary violation or something that you have expressed, I don't like it when you do this and the person does it, it might be showing you that they just don't have respect for your feelings. And you might decide if it's a, a, a boundary you can live with, if it's something that's less serious, it might just take a reminder of, hey, remember when I said I didn't like it when you did that? I noticed you did it again. And then sometimes people are willing to adjust and change. But it really depends on your relationship with that person, how important that relationship is and how big that boundary violation is. And how much do you want to hold on to that, right? Because that's a weight on your shoulders. You end up bearing the burden. Mm-hmm. We want to uh, give folks tips on how to confront people and and leave it in a positive way, or try to. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with Amy Morin, a therapist and best-selling author of four books on mental strength, also editor-in-chief of Very Well Mind. Thanks again for joining us for this today. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's get into tips on how to get comfortable with confrontation, like undoing all of that stuff that's icky from our past. Not icky. Well, it can be icky. For me, it's icky. That's how I <laughs> that's describe it. a funny it. word. <laughs> One thing you can do is not save it up until you're extremely offended. For people who aren't used to confrontation, sometimes they don't say anything when there's minor boundary violations or small things that are rubbing them the wrong way so instead they save it up till something big and they turn it into this huge event of like let's sit down and talk and it makes it bigger than what it needs to be so sometimes you practice with small things of oh i didn't like it when when uh, you spoke over me today in that meeting or i didn't appreciate it when you said that thing in front of everybody and i, I was kind of embarrassed when you just bring up those little things uh, it makes it easier sometimes to confront the bigger problems and to just remind yourself that confronting someone 
doesn't have to end poorly. Sometimes it can just open the door to new ways of communication. It's an opportunity to talk more about how you're feeling or to better understand why somebody maybe did this thing that they did. Not saying that you have to back down and say that wasn't okay, but it might just give you a better understanding of what's going on with them. Interesting. I in, in this HuffPost article where we found you and what this discussion is being had, um, it, it says use I statements to keep defensiveness at bay. So when you're using I statements, what does that mean? Saying how I was personally affected? And is that a good idea? Well, instead of saying, you know, you always do this thing, you always raise your voice, you always call me uh, only when you need something. Instead, it's much better if you can just say, feel kind of disrespected when this happens or I don't really like it. And people can't argue with your feelings. They can argue with their behavior. They can try to justify what really happened, but they can't argue with your feelings. And you say, I'm really sad when this happens, when you don't call me back or you don't respond to my text message. I get nervous. I get worried. And when you explain it that way, it's a lot less accusatory and people are more likely to respond in a positive manner. I so appreciate that, but I do that. And uh, including these days as I'm trying to set my boundaries and really like get comfortable with confrontation and speak my truth. And I literally dealt with someone today who I said, hey, I don't like when you talk to me like that. It makes me feel uncomfortable and it feels like insulting to me. And he go, and then he just used it, like he validated it based on things that I, he thought I was doing to him. Hmm. And people, right, it's kind of common that people will do that no matter what you say. But as long as you do it in a way that says, I feel X, Y, and Z when you do X, Y, and Z, it can just be more helpful uh, to have that conversation. And you're taking ownership for, I feel this way. I know. And I don't like the behavior that you're me. exhibiting. Well, yeah. I, I do wonder, do these same tips work when it comes to family? Because I know oftentimes family, it can be blurred lines. And it can be really difficult in the, the setting the boundaries and kind of doing those I statements. It's definitely difficult because your family is probably less likely at times to think that they need to honor some of the boundaries you set because after a while, you know, we're blood. We don't need to do this. Yeah. But uh, sometimes you have to consistently do it over and over again until people get the picture. Oh, this person's serious this time that I can't do this anymore or they're offended by it, but they're not just going to say I'm offended. They're going to then say I'm ending the conversation. We're not going to talk about this and maybe hang up the phone. They walk away or they say we can talk when you're ready to discuss something other than this one subject, something like that. But when we really follow through after a while, our family gets the picture. Oh, this person's serious. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, sure. Yeah. I, I think this is so important um, and really helpful because there are a lot of people in this situation right now. So thank you so much for joining us and helping us navigate this topic. I'm glad you're talking about it. Thanks for having me. Wait, I have a question real quick, just oh. real quick. Is it weird if someone likes confrontation? Like if they thrive in it? <laughs> there there are people that tend to have trouble controlling their feelings, so they find it helpful to try to control their environment and control oh. other people. So sometimes it's a, it's a sign that uh, somebody's uncomfortable managing their internal uh, turmoil so it's a great way to say i'm going to try to control everything around me so and yeah it could go both ways if you have trouble controlling your internal turmoil you either retreat retreat back into yourself or the other way that's Woo! interesting i mean so we could have had a whole more other conversation oh, just yeah. on that but we're running out of time but you were great yeah that was amy moore thank you yeah who's a therapist and best-selling author also editor-in-chief of very well mind yes thanks again now, coming up, Fauci had a heated exchange with a Republican representative over masks. What went down next on What's Trending This Hour? 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up, more on the protests happening in Minnesota right now and how Chauvin not testifying will impact the George Floyd case. We have a reporter on the ground there in Minneapolis. And how one state is making sure disproportionate communities are getting vaccinated. That's coming up this hour. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. All right, well, let's do it. A lot of this hours. Yeah, sure, because hours come after each other. Representative Jim Jordan (laughs) challenged Dr. Anthony Fauci. It got heated on when states can end coronavirus precautions. What? Yeah, yeah, that too. Ignorant for sure. Let's play that clip. Give us your best guess, then. I just did. No, you didn't. You didn't give us a time. When do you think this is going? Are we going to be doing? Are we going to be here two years from now wearing masks? No, I don't. Ask Dr. Fauci the same question. Let let me let me answer your ranting again. Let me just. I'm not ranting. Yes, you are. No, I, I, here's how it works, Dr. Fauci. Right. I get to ask you the questions. You're the highest paid official in the United States government. You've given us your advice on baseball, on dating apps, on cruise ships. You told us zero masks, one mask, two masks, now back to one mask. I'm just asking you, when is it going to end? You can say I'm ranting. I'm actually asking the question that the citizens, I get the privilege of representing. Oh, I mean, these are, it's the... Is this helping the American people at all? Them arguing back and forth? Like, who, first of all, who is watching C-SPAN to watch them go off on each other like that? Well, it's, it seems like they are trying to get ratings. It's like a Bravo housewife reunion that I'm watching. Was that NeNe Leaks? Was that, like, who is that? Like, I just don't understand what they're doing, and it's not helpful for the American people at the end of the day. Like, Jim, Jordan is the worst. They just want to demonize Fauci and make it seem like he's forcing them or all of us in this horrible position. He doesn't know what he's doing, which is very disrespectful I mean, considering his granted background. there were moments where Fauci did say some conflicting stuff, but if you want to get down to those issues, do it in a better way. Jim Jim Jordan is only there to really try to get clicks and for us and here let's go there. And, and Fauci he has, wants us to cover him. Well, that and Fauci, let me tell you, this guy is patience. I would be, you know, that Simpsons, like they, where they go across the table and they choke someone. You, we just had a conversation about com- confrontation. You said you hated it, so you wouldn't do that. No, I would wait and then finally, like, probably blow up and then be on C-SPAN and then I'd, I'd start crying or something. <laughs> you would start crying, which would ruin everything. Why can't you just listen to me? I'm trying my hardest to fix the country. Oh you think I want to be here right now? Okay, the joke's over. That was what's trending this hour and scene. What's happening in entertainment news? Okay, so uh, Sharon Osbourne, she has decided she's speaking out for the first time in an exclusive interview um, with... Oh, God. Let's just get into this tea report. It's time for that and your pop culture stories that are trending right now. She has decided to speak with Bill Maher in her first interview since exiting the talk after that entire scandal. She's going to go one-on-one this Friday on Real Time with Bill Maher on uh, HBO announced it today. Basically, the in-studio appearance will occur at the beginning of the episode and will be followed by a panel discussion with Eurasia Group and G Zero Media President Ian Brimmer as a, I don't know who any of those people are, but I guess they're a panelist. I don't know if that has to do with Shannon, Um, but it's really interesting why she chose Bill Maher because Bill Maher has been in his own racial scandal where he said the N-word live in a joke on his show and he had to apologize. This was like a couple years ago and he said he was a house N-word and it made no sense 
even for the joke that he even uh, said it. And why would he even say it? Um, so it's weird that she has decided to take her her time, and especially in this whole racism bullying scandal that she's a part of, and go to someone else who was involved in something similar. That just sounds so stupid. Do you just want someone to coddle you and, and make you feel good about yourself? That's what it feels like. Well, yeah. I mean, they obviously have a relationship. She wanted it to be a safe space. Probably. It's not. It shouldn't be. I'm surprised. She wants to you be know, coddled. You know who has been getting a lot of exclusives around these things and um, breaking it down? Well, typically, uh, white people, when they mess up, will go to, like, Gail King or Michael Strahan. Have you, you've seen that. Since when? I mean, I guess Michael Strahan did do that Bachelor Chris, uh, the Chris guy from The Bachelor. I don't watch The Bachelor, so I'm not really sure what his name is. So Michael But also Stra- Gail King. I'm she ain't done nothing with no white folks, oh, except well, for that girl. Yeah. That got that girl, but um, she, yeah, I that is true, it has happened. But I do feel like Sharon wants to go to a friend to be coddled instead of having someone give her real tea. So let me know what you think. You know, I've covered a lot of good stories in the tea report today. Head over to wearechannelq.com to read more about each one, and of course, keep the conversation going at LGT Show. And if you want to talk to Sharon and I directly, our social handles are in our bio. So you can hit us up. Seriously. We'll respond. We and do. even re- read them on air. Oh, yeah. No matter if they're hateful, mm-hmm. nice, oh yeah, hateful, whatever you want. Well, we're going to talk to you. Thanks, Ryan, for that. Uh, looking forward to your DMs. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Hulu has acquired the Changing the Game documentary, Michael Barnett's look at transgender athletes, and it will premiere the film on June 1st as part of its celebration of Pride Month. Woo! Uh, The film, which debuted at 2019 Tribeca Film Festival, follows three high school students at different stages of their athletic seasons, personal lives, and unique paths as transgender teens. You know, one of our favorite people is a part of the team that created this, Alex Schmider. Shout out to you from GLAAD. Covers, like, everything, all things like trans experience and making sure trans stories are told properly in Hollywood. And he... um, is going to hopefully be coming on the show very soon to be talking about that experience because I've heard nothing but beautiful things about oh, yeah. this and how it reframes completely the conversation around just trans athletes mm. and what we really need to be talking about, what we need really need to be highlighting instead of the nonsense that Republicans and conservatives are trying to throw into everyone's yeah, face. beautiful and very timely. Well, that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day. Yeah. Yes, Queen. And if you want to nominate anyone for us to highlight or a story for us to showcase on the show, head us up, slide into our DMs at LGT Show. Get to sliding. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then also does it for our show today. <laughs> I don't even know what that was. It wasn't a uh uh huh, or it wasn't a uh uh-huh. uh. It was a uh uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> We are back tomorrow, last day here, weekdays here on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern, on tomorrow's show. Why we are so tired after socializing. Do you notice you are tired after hanging out with people these days? There's a reason why. Yes, there's a social meter. I always talk about that. It's like This is like a dream that we're talking about this. Social battery. Uh, plus, what you need to know around Trans HIV Awareness Day. That's on tomorrow's show. And if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast, just as a reminder. Join our podcast family. Go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available. Search What's Trending and subscribe. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Stick around for Loveline with Dr. Chris where he's covering male insecurities. That's next.